Here they come. It's me, Cindy. Those are my geese. All 8,000 of them. They're all mine. I haven't named them. I just call them Hey Geese because who's got time to come up with 8,000 names? Anyway. Every morning, every evening, from sometime in August till sometime in April, hundreds, and that's not an exaggeration, hundreds of Canadian geese fly right over my house. And when I hear them coming, unless I'm at a critical juncture in some project or another, or if Mia or Kebster has just gotten settled on my lap, I'm up and out the front or the back door to watch them fly over. It's such a spectacle. Plus, it's one of the most naturey things in my world. Live, free geese, sometimes flying low enough that I can hear the whoosh, whoosh, whoosh of their wings flapping along with their honking, which you can't miss, as they head up to the farm fields to peck away at the leftovers or head back down to the pond as the sun sets. The pond's only a couple of blocks away, due south of my house, so I am in the best possible position for the full-on flying-over-my-house geese experience. In all the years in this little house, it is still thrilling to me. Twice a day, every day till the weather warms up. It's not that I'm not, like everyone else, inclined to get tired of even the most wonderful things like the smell of Dunkin' Donuts, which is a couple of blocks north as the geese fly. When we first moved in, I was like, ooh, heavenly donut aroma. But now I'm like, oof, overkill. Maybe if they used more cinnamon. Anyway, back to my friends, the geese. I can't tell you how many photos I have of them taken between the branches heading towards me. Rarely am I that quick or flying away, mostly. I'd love to capture the V shape of their flight pattern. How do they know how to do that? But mostly, I have a massive number of blurry photos of dark masses with the sky behind them. Of the countless pictures, I have maybe a handful where you'd go, hey, look at those geese. But it doesn't mean I'll never stop trying. It's like that with the leaves, too, especially the autumns that respectfully let the leaves change color before they're collected on the ground. You know, those seasons where we get a big storm and fall is like, not given a chance to do that classic color thing we hope for. This year was great. I have a tree in the backyard that was like art class. Some leaves turning red, some red with gold, some gold some gold with green and red and brown. I mean, this tree really outdid itself this year. And so there I was with my camera, snapping away, struggling to capture the impact of what nature does with no effort. Did I succeed? What do you think? Really not. But here's what I did to try to hold on to the drama for a little longer. It's a trick my mom used to do when we were little. You put the leaves between pieces of wax paper, and then you go over them with a warm iron enough to melt the wax enough to seal the leaves in the paper. Side note, this is only if you still have an iron. It was just a lucky coincidence that I still do, as I never, ever, ever use my iron for anything more than putting leaves in wax paper. Then you put your leaf collage in a window so the light can shine through, and it can be pretty sweet. Second side note, if you do have an iron, make sure you use a paper towel or a dishcloth under and on top of the wax paper so it doesn't ruin your iron because you might need it next year for your leaf collage. <laughs> Certainly not for sheets or handkerchiefs or whatever it is people use to iron. Anyway, hundreds of geese photos, hundreds of fall leaf photos over the year. And as I may have mentioned before, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of photos of the kids, trips, my animals, flowers, holidays, in dozens of boxes hidden around the house, and hundreds more now on my computer and thumb drives and on my iPhone. 
with no promise of that trend stopping or slowing down as long as my eyes and my fingers still work. I make calendars of my favorite photos from the years past. I go on Snapfish or Shutterfly or whoever has the best sale when I'm ready, and I make calendars, custom calendars, for family and some friends. My mom started it years ago complimenting me on some of my pictures, asking me, you know, if she couldn't have a couple to look at. I have to say her photo skills and her eye for a great picture really pushed and encouraged me to be better friends with my cameras. Anyway, I took a one-day class in photography. It's where I learned the rule of thirds, which essentially is making a more interesting photo by not centering the subject. Imagine your picture divided by a grid with three equal parts vertically and horizontally, making nine squares and four intersecting lines. The four places where the lines meet are where your picture's focal points should be placed. You might have to look that up for a visual because I don't think I'm describing it well. Anyway, you'll notice it's in use when you look at really good photos. The subject or the focal point will be, you know, like a third of the way over or a third of the way up and over or a third of the way down. Anyway, with all these photos done and still to come, I had to stop and ponder at what point does taking a picture get in the way of actually experiencing the moment. For me, I don't think it's an issue, but if you ask any of my family, except my mom, they'll tell you that they'd like me to put the camera down and just be part of what's going on rather than recording for the future. Nobody should have to look at photos to see if they had a nice time. But I swear I am right there when I am taking the pictures. I swear I am. But taking too many pictures could be a problem. Turns out, and I don't count myself among the at-risk, there is some truth to the idea that taking too many photos can impact on your memory. In a way, it seems that taking photos somehow releases our brains of the responsibility of making the memory stick. What? Yeah, at least that's what a psychology professor, Linda Henkel, has determined from a study on how taking photos impacts experience and memory. Uh Uh-oh. In theory, it seems we believe taking pictures at a concert or a museum will help us remember the event later on, but uh-uh. turns out snapping all those pictures might be hurting our ability to recall the event and not helping it at all. And selfies could hurt even more. Again, what? Although selfies, I gotta say, not an issue for me because nothing makes me look worse than whatever the lens is on the selfie camera because ew, or maybe I just look like that. Anyway, in this study... She had students take pictures of art objects and then take or have someone else take pictures of them in the picture with the object. Get it? So like a selfie or like here, take a picture of me with this statue. The next day, she asked questions to see what the students remembered. And most students remembered less and could not recall specific details of what they had photographed. On the other hand, they remembered if they just observed the art and didn't capture it on camera. The study, of course, shows that if you take a photo of something, you're counting on the camera to remember it for you. Who knew? By not engaging more, you're not benefiting from the kind of brain processing that would help you remember because you've, you ready? Outsourced it to your camera. This is called the photo-taking impairment effect, where your camera functions as a Dropbox for your brain. As for the selfies, the study also showed if we're not in the photo, we remember more about what we saw. It seems that selfies, or being in the picture, alters your perspective of the experience. 
if you're in the image, you're more removed from the original moment because you're part of it instead of seeing it. Does that make sense? Whereas if you're not in the image, at least you can relive the experience through your own eyes and you remember more. You were taking the picture of the thing instead of having someone take a picture of you with the thing. If you're going to take a picture or dozens of pictures before you do, make the connection to the object, the scene, the person, the experience, the view, especially with the holidays coming up, lots of opportunities to connect with the families, the foods, the fun, and to not have them hocking you about, put the camera down, take it all in, react, enjoy, savor. So it's a firsthand, fully felt connection. Nothing wrong with that. File it in your brain first and then take photos later if you still want to. And sometimes... You risk taker, you. You could even just leave the camera at home. Leave the cell phone in your pocket. Let your brain capture the image. Oddly, or after hearing about this study, not really all that oddly, I have very clear recollections of what would have been great photos, except that I was driving by or didn't have my camera or for whatever reason couldn't get the photo at the time. Thanks to my brain, those specific images are as real and striking and perfect as they were when I saw them. Unlike the countless photos of the geese, the memory of them flying overhead is a perfect picture, or actually, in their case, a honking, flapping, natureful wonder of brain video. Feel free to subscribe to the It's Me, Cindy podcast, where it's me trying to help us all have more fun, less misery, more memories and the happiest life.